Hey everybody, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. My name's Josiah, and I'm one of our leaders here. Our prayer is that you find this next conversation meaningful and helpful in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at right now. If you're a young adult in the greater Akron area, and you're looking to find community, or just trying to learn more about God and Christianity, I'd want to personally invite you out to Collective. We meet at Grace Church Bath Campus every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And if you want more info, you can find it on our Instagram, GCM underscore Collective. Now let's jump into our conversation. Um, Hey, everybody. Uh, Like I said before, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Josiah, and I'm really excited to be with you all. Once again, welcome to Collective. Um, Actually, for the past few weeks with Collective, we've been in a series that we've been calling uh, Selfless, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And and here's the basic premise uh, of the series. The idea is this. um, The best definition of humility, according to all of Jesus' teachings and everything that he has to say, the best definition of humility that I've ever heard is humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not having low self-esteem. It's actually just thinking less of yourself altogether. And the premise of this series has been, how free would we be? You know what I mean? How much better would our lives be? How, 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 how free would we be from, from the reign of insecurity, from the reign of anxiety, from the reign of arrogance, if we just simply thought of ourselves Less. If you think about it, you know, a lot of times people think what, what pride is, what ego is, is just being like super arrogant. And, and, and everybody like that, people don't like big mean bullies and they're like, that, that's what it's like to be arrogant. If you think about it, at the very core of arrogance is thinking that you're better than another person. So if, say, if you accuse somebody of being arrogant, what you're doing is you're saying, this person is really self-obsessed. This person is thinking about themselves all the time. And all they're ever doing is thinking they're better than other people. But if you flip it, at the core of insecurity, it's also a self-obsession. If you think about insecurity, insecurity is thinking about yourself all the time. Why you're worse than another people. They're both coming from the same place. And that place is what we call, and the Bible will call, ego. Ego is just your obsession with yourself. It's thinking about yourself perpetually. It's thinking about yourself all the time. And that's part of what is enslaving you all the time. Uh, One of the analogies I like to think of is uh, insecurity and arrogance are kind of like H2O. You know what I'm saying? They're kind of, you don't know what I'm saying because I haven't explained it yet. But you know, they're, they're kind of like H2O. And, and, and here's, here's how the, how this works. Sometimes if you're, um, you know, if the temperature of your ego is super high, you get like steam. You know what I mean? It's, it's a way up here. It's like steam. Sometimes when the temperature of your ego is really low, you get ice. You get ice. But it's all made of the same components. Either way, if you go to science class, which I basically almost flunked out of, but you know, I looked it up on Google just to make sure. On um, both cases, no matter where the temperature of your insecurity is at, where your ego is at, you still got the same components. Two part hydrogen, one part oxygen. Thank you. And in the same way, uh, insecurities and ego come from a self-obsession. So that's, that's what we've been talking about. And if you're interested in the conversations that we've had the past couple of weeks, the best place you can find and catch up on them is on our podcast, Collective Young Adult Ministry Podcast. But here, here's what I want to do today. Okay, here's what I want to do today. I know that in this room, there's a lot of different people that are coming from a lot of different places. Okay, so, so I know that, that some of us, some of us in this room, we want to deepen our relationship with God. 
We want to be closer to God. Maybe you come to collective regularly. Maybe you took the invite up from a friend because you're like, you know, I've actually been interested in getting closer to God. And this seems like a great opportunity to be able to do that. Um, I know that many of us, maybe most of us are here because we want to see Spider-Man and we couldn't get tickets anywhere else, you know, and this church had $7 tickets. So I'm like, what the heck? Why not? I'll just go for it. That might be most of us. And I, and then I know there's always, there's always a big group of us in this room uh, that we actually feel like we're far from God. We actually feel like we're far from God. And we actually feel like like showing up to a church, showing up to something religious uh, was actually a, a pretty big deal for you. You kind of feel out of place. You, you're kind of you're kind of a little worried. You're, you're worried like the walls were going to fall down or I don't know, what was it like an earthquake was ha- going to happen or something like that? I remember uh, one time my wife, uh, she invited one of her friends from work. Uh, to, uh, she worked at Starbucks at the time. She invited one of her friends to, to come to collective with us. And she was like walking in the door and she's like, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And my wife's like, why? She's like, I have a confession. She's like, what? I don't believe in God. You know, and she thought like that she was going to walk in and, and something terrible was going to happen. If that's you, I promise you you're in a safe place. Seriously. I, I, I promise you that you're in a safe place. We are coming from all over the place tonight. We are all over the place. And he, here's what I want you to be able to walk away with tonight. I want every person in this room to be able to walk away knowing what Jesus Christ is all about. That's it. I want every person to be able to know what Jesus Christ is all about. Here's the thing. If I'm being completely honest, I don't really care what you think about church. You know what I mean? If you, if you hate church, if you love church, I, I don't super care. If I'm being completely honest with you, I don't really care what you think about organized religion. It's not my goal to sell you on organized religion and the establishments around it. Um, I don't really care what you think about morality. I don't really care what you even think about theology. I don't even care really what you think about collective. If you're here and you're like, this is really weird to probably never come back. You know what I mean? That, that, that's okay. Of course I want to be, I want you to be a part of this community. I think this is an incredible thing and God's going to change the world here. I really think that. Uh, but, but that's not my goal. My, my number one goal for you is to know who Jesus Christ is. That's my number one goal. My number one goal for you is to know who Jesus Christ is, to know what he's actually about, and to be able to know what his heart is all about. Um, you know, one of my roles here at our church is on our weekend services for the old heads. Uh, I, I get up and, and I lead worship. I'm a part of the band. And uh, a few weeks ago, you know, I'll play with some of these guys, but a few weeks ago, um, you know, we, we, it's Sunday morning. You got to get up super early to practice these songs. So we're getting at the church, you know, super early, and we're practicing some, some of these songs, and the band all agrees when we're going to get there. And uh, I was playing with, with a couple of friends. Uh, one of my friends is Ashton. I don't know if you guys know Ashton. He's a really cool guy. And, and then my other friend is Christian. I don't know if you know Christian. Christian's the man, the myth, and the legend. And we, it was so early, and what happens all the time is somebody's alarm doesn't go off. You know what I mean? Or you just snooze right through. That happens like every other week. And so this particular time, the whole man's, we're, we're all together, we're all sitting there, and, uh, and Christian isn't there. And this is, this is very out of character for Christian. I, I'm sorry, Christian, I didn't tell you, I didn't say I was going to tell you this story. But this is really out of character for Christian, because Christian is as dedicated as it gets. Christian, if you don't know Christian, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's the cream of the crop, and I'm pretty sure he's single. You know what I mean? So, so th- this, this guy, this guy is amazing, and this is super duper out of character, because no one's more committed to the band than Christian is. We're all sitting there together, and Ashton, the drummer, he's like, man, you know what would be really funny? <laughs> he's like, you know what would be really funny? Check this out. And he calls Christian. We're all sitting there. And he's like, guys, check this out. And we can only hear Ashton's side of the phone call. And Christian picks up the phone, and Ashton's like, dude, where are you? Dude, where are you? We're all waiting on you. And we're all like, we're fine. We're laughing. It's been 10 minutes. Like, dude, where are you? Dude, Josiah, he's pissed at you. Oh, dude, he's so mad at you. 
he doesn't think you're taking the band seriously anymore. You know, he, he doesn't think you're taking this seriously. He thinks you're being arrogant. You know, you better get here as fast as you can. And he hangs up and we all just start laughing. Now, now this is where the weird moment comes in because Christian actually shows up like five minutes later or 10 minutes later. And the joke is, how long, how long are we going to commit to this bit? You know what I mean? How long are we going to commit that we're all like really mad at Christian? And so he walks in and we kind of give him the cold shoulder. You know what I mean? We kind of eyeball him, kind of weird. But I, I can't take it. I can't take it. It's my reputation on the line. So, you know, five minutes in, I'm like, dude, I'm not mad at you at all. You know what I mean? Like, I know you take the band seriously. You're the best guy in the world. That was, that was five minutes in. But I tell you this story. Here's why. I think we do that to God all the time. I think we do that to God all the time. We let other people's interpretation of God dictate how we think about him. We let what other people say about God. We let what books say, what articles say, what movies say, what professors say. We let what everyone else says about God to dictate our view and our image of him. But we never go straight to the source. And it's only when you go straight to the source where you can truly know someone's heart, where you can truly know if the other people were lying, where you can truly know what God, what Jesus Christ is all about. And that's what I want to do tonight. So if you got some church baggage, if you got some religious, you know, weird stuff, if you have no background whatsoever, let's just try and reset. Let's just try and reset. And let's just see what Jesus Christ is all about. Um, we're going to be looking in the Bible in Luke chapter 10. If you got a Bible or a phone, all you need to do is get out Google and you can look up Luke 10 and, and it will pop up. And we're also going to have it right on screen. I don't know if you need to like call in your carrier pigeon or uh, I don't know, if you got like Luke chapter 10 tattooed on your leg or something like that, you can also, you can read it off of anything is what I'm trying to say. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. This is a really familiar story, but I really think it gets to the heart of what Christianity is all about. It's going to be on the screen. One day, this is what Luke says, this is uh, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Stood up to test Jesus by asking him this profound question. Teacher. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is getting really popular, okay? Everybody's really starting to follow him because his teachings are incredible. He has this amazing trick where, like, he can feed you with, like, five loaves, and that goes really far away. He can heal people. You know, so people are really into Jesus. And this teacher is really trying to say, this, this guy, he's a professor, he's a lawyer, he's like an intellect. You know, he's, a, he's got that big brain energy. And so he's trying to test Jesus and see if this guy is legit or not. And maybe this dude is super nice. I don't know. Maybe he's super nice. But when I picture this dude, this it, it, I have a picture of what I think this guy looks like. Do you have that picture? Can you hit that? No. There he is. Yeah. This is this is all I can think of. I, I watched the Polar Express the other day, and all I can imagine is, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what I mean? That, that, that's kind of like a full-grown version of this kid right here. Um, it, maybe he doesn't look like that. I don't know. But, uh, but basically, he's just asking him a general question. He's like, teacher, what are you all about? Teacher, what's the Bible all about? Teacher, what's Christianity all about? Teacher, what is God all about? And so Jesus hits him back with a question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This guy's feeling kind of dumb. You ever ask somebody a question that you like answer for yourself and you realize like that, that was, this was a really stupid moment. This is the moment that he's having. So he's like, who is my neighbor? Who technically is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into this parable. He launches into the story that he's making up to make a very important point. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. 
a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. But by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So too, a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked this guy, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this story, but essentially, Jesus is trying to make a big, clear point. He's trying to make a big, clear point, and, and, and here, here, here's point number one. You want to know what love is, Jesus says, here's what love is. Love is giving everything while expecting nothing. Love is giving everything while expecting nothing. That's point number one. What Jesus is trying to paint for this dude is a portrait of how our ego, okay? He's trying to paint a portrait for how our ego or for how our uncanny obsession with ourself is always blocking our love, is always blocking our legitimate ability to love other people. Jesus tells us in this made-up story, okay, that there's a Jewish man. These are all important details. There's a Jewish man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, everyone in Jesus's day knew that the route from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous route. Everyone knew that. The route from Jerusalem to Jericho was very dangerous. And here's why. This route wasn't like a main street or a highway where you have a bunch of people going at the same time. This route, you can only travel one person at a time. It's very arid. There, there was no one really there. And it kind of hugged along the side of cliffs, which made it perfect for bandits. It made it perfect for robbers. Because here's why. The robbers could hide behind the cliff, and they could wait for one person to come by, and they'd jump out, they'd mug them, take all his stuff, beat the crap out of them, and then, you know, you know, they kind of hide away. And they know that no one else is going to come by for a really long time. There's going to be no one else to defend them. There's going to be no one else that shows up. But this guy doesn't just get jumped. This guy almost gets murdered. They beat the snot out of him. They beat him so bad. They strip him so bad. They hit him so bad that he's bloodied. He's left on the side of the road, and he's going to die. And here's why that's really important. Here's why this is really important to Jesus. You know how when somebody, you're walking on the street, you're walking on the city street, and somebody comes up to you, and they're like, hey, can I have some money? And the thought crosses your mind. You're like, I don't really know if you're going to buy food or if you're going to buy, like, cocaine. You know, you know what I'm saying? Or, or here's another one. You're driving home late at night and you see a car that's kind of stranded on the side of the road. And you're like, I don't know if they like need help or help is already on the way. Like, I don't know if I should help them or they're trying to, trying to take a nap. Here's what Jesus is trying to do with this story. Jesus is trying to pick, to give us a picture of the cleanest cut. You should definitely help this guy. He's trying to make this clear, the, the easiest case ever, objective. There's no room for interpretation. You should help this guy, and if you don't help this guy, this guy's going to die. There's no room for interpretation. It's just a clean 
case. And Jesus tells us that two different individuals pass him by one at a time. And that was a priest and a Levite. And thanks to archaeologists, okay, thanks to modern archaeology, um, they have actually kind of composed a picture of what the priest and the Levite look like. Um, th this is the best uh, picture of what a priest and a Levite. I'm just kidding, guys. Just some jokes. Just trying to warm up the crowd a little bit. You know what I'm saying? That's not what a priest and Levite actually look like. Actually, that's probably a terrible picture to have a priest and a Levite. Um, it, 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 here's the deal about the pre priest and Levite. You can get rid of that slide. I, I, don't, want, I don't want that harming us. Uh, the priest and the Levite in the Jewish mind would have been the most ideal examples of humility and love. They were men of God. They were church people. They were leaders. They were holy men. And in a very religious culture, in this Jewish culture, they were the cream of the crop. The priest was like a pastor, right? A priest is like what you think of priest-wise. You know, you think of a Catholic priest. It's probably not that far off. A Levite would have been kind of like a, a worship leader at a church. The Levite was, was set aside. He had a very specific task, and that was to connect people to the presence of God. They're both church people. They're both holy people. They're both the best society has to offer. And so everybody listening to this story is thinking, man, Jesus, this story is about to be really short. You know what I'm saying? This story sucks. This story is going to end so fast. Because if anyone is going to help this man, it's a priest and a Levite. Right? If anyone is going to pull over to the side of the road and help this guy that's about to die, it's the two men of God, the priest and the Levite. And to everyone's shock and to everyone's surprise, Jesus gives a great plot twist that the priest and the Levite just leave him stranded out to die. And Jesus is using these two examples to teach us a few things about our ego and teach us a few things about our self-obsession. Here's point number two. Ego is always trying to get off on a technicality. That's what your ego is going to do. Your ego is always, always trying to find a technicality to get you out of the situation. That's what an ego is trying to do. Uh, it, your ego is automatically going to give you five reasons why doing the right thing is actually, when you really think about it and you spin it the right way, it's actually a moral wrong. Why you shouldn't do the right things. Your ego is going to try and pin God's words or things that you know in the Bible or things that you know from morality. It's going to try and pin that against love. And he here's what I mean. When, when the priest came by, you know, he was walking down the city streets. When, when, when the priest came by, there were two Jewish religious laws that he would have immediately thought of as soon as he saw the dead body. There's two Jewish laws that he would have think of. The first law, the first rule, is that as a priest, you can't touch a dead body. That's the first rule. There is a rule that as a priest, if you touch the dead body, you basically got the cheese touch. You know what I'm saying? Like You basically got defiled, and the only way to be, you became unclean, and the only way to become clean again was to go through a seven-day purification ceremony. So the priest is thinking, man, I, you know, I don't want to go through the seven-day purification ceremony. But the second rule, there was a second rule that was supposed to trump the first one. And the second rule was this. God said, anytime you see someone in need, anytime you see someone in need, do whatever you can to help them. Anytime you do someone in need, do whatever you can to help them, because that's my heart. That is the heart of God. But when the priest saw the man on the ground, he tried to get off on a technicality. What he did was he clung to the first rule, and he convinced himself, you know what? God doesn't want me to help this guy. You know what? I'm actually doing the right thing. I'm actually being a holy man. By passing this guy, I'm honoring God. By passing this guy by, by leaving him out to die, I'm actually doing what God wants me to do, right? And isn't that what we do all the time? Isn't that exactly the thought process we do all the time? A few years ago, I was talking to a guy uh, who wanted to be, he felt called 
He felt called by the Lord uh, to become a worship pastor. This was like his dream. And the worship pastor is a guy that does the music. And so he felt like he felt called by God. And he was telling me that one time he was on his way to worship practice and he saw this guy on, on the side of the road who looked like he needed help. It was a homeless man. And he saw this homeless man on the side of the road. And what he felt in his heart, what he thought in his heart is, man, I should really pull over and help this guy. He, he felt that conviction. I should pull over to help this guy. But then he remembered, wait a second. That's not my calling. Wait a second. God called me to be a worship pastor. God called me to lead the music. That's not my gifting. My gifting is the music. And I'm so glad that I can leave this homeless man on the side of the road because obviously God is going to call someone else to help the homeless man. That's someone else's calling. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you think like that, if that is how your brain works, you do not understand the heart of God at all. If that's how your brain works, if that's how you process things, you don't understand the heart of God at all. Listen, your ego is going to try and make your morality and your selflessness and your generosity and your relationship with God all about you all the time. That's what ego does. It's self-obsessed. And what you're going to start doing is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to try and pin God's word. You're going to try and pin the things that God says. You're going to try and pin the things you feel in, a heart, in your heart. You're going to try and pin God's words against God's heart. Here's a couple examples. Um, God doesn't want me to be anxious, right? Jesus says, Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. God doesn't want me to be anxious, so I really need to stop serving these people. They make me anxious. I really need to reduce my worry. I need to, you know, what's that book? To hell with the hustle. You know what I mean? I need to get rid of all, all my rushing because God doesn't want me to be anxious. God doesn't want me to be anxious, so I need to cut these relationships off. You know, I think about them when I go to sleep at night. I think about them, you know, the first thing when I wake up in the morning. I need to cut these relationships off because God doesn't want me to be anxious. God wants me to be responsible, right? God has given me all this money, so I need to take care of this money. It's not responsible to just give money away to strangers. I don't know if this guy is saying nope to dope. You know, like, I, I don't know if I should be giving him money. If, if I really am doing what God wants me to do, I'm going to be responsible and keep it to myself. After all, I watched a couple of Dave Ramsey videos, and I'm pretty much an expert on money anyways at age 19. You know, uh, God wants me to be loving. Here's a huge one. God wants me to be loving. God wants me to be gentle. God wants me to win people over. So when my friend is blowing up their life, I'm going to say nothing because I don't want to offend them. When my friend is making terrible life decisions, I'm going to say nothing because I don't want to hurt their feelings because after all, God wants me to be loving. I'm not going to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ because that's closed-minded. God wants me to be loving. And before you know it, you're using God's name. You're using God's words to justify your own selfishness. To justify your own self-preservation, to justify your own protection. And let, let me say, there is no way that Christians do this quite as impressively as the way we start saying, talking about calling. There's no way that we do this quite as astoundingly impressively in the way that we talk about calling. We will say no to the opportunities that God has put directly in front of us because we say, no, God hasn't called me to do it. We will say no to the people in our lives right here, right now, in this moment, because we'll say, well, no, God has given me different gifts. You know, that's not my passion. We will say no to the person on the side of the road and use, get, listen, don't use the Lord's name in vain. 
You know what I'm saying? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. I don't know. When I grew up in church, and, and I, you know, if you didn't, you got a benefit. But when I, when I was growing up in church, they always taught me that using the Lord's name in vain, it's one of the Ten Commandments, was like saying, like, oh, my God, as an expression, or, or saying Jesus Christ as a swear word. And, and it is. It, 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 it is. But it's so much more than that. That doesn't get to the heart of it. Do you know what using the Lord's name in vain actually is? Do you know what the heart of using the Lord's name in vain is? It's evoking God's name for your own desires, it's saying, God called me to do the thing I actually want to do. God told me to the thing I actually wanted to do. Because here's God's calling. God's calling on your life is really clear. God has said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God has said, at infinite sacrifice to yourself, at infinite cost, pour out your lives to the people around you. God has said, go and make disciples of all nations. And if your calling conflicts with compassion, I promise you, that's not God's calling, that's yours. If your calling conflicts with compassion, it's not from God. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. That is from you. At infinite cost to yourself. Listen, I promise you, God is not calling you away from the person that you hate. He's calling you right to them. I promise you, God is not calling you away from forgiveness. He's calling you right back into peace and restoring that relationship. And there is a time, there is a time when you've done everything you can, you've done everything you can, and you can be at peace. But have you really? I promise you, God isn't calling you away from the mess, away from the disaster. He calls followers of Jesus right into it. Here's the second thing that we learn about ego. Here's the second thing. Ego abandons when the cost outweighs the benefit. Ego abandons when the cost outweighs the benefit. You know, many scholars believe that the priests and the Levite were actually on their way back from church. They think that, you know, that, that Jerusalem Jericho route, they think that they went off to a temple and they were on their way home from church. Meaning this, they had loved people all day. They had kissed babies, you know, all day. They had baptized people. They had taught, they had given, they had given to the poor at their church. They had done good things all day and everyone knew that they were doing it. But what made this route a perfect place to mug someone also made this route a perfect place to leave people out to die. Because no one was ever going to see you. No one was ever going to pass by. Can we, can, can we just be honest about something? Can we all just, I think we can be honest. Can we all just admit that there are many selfish reasons to do selfless things? Can we, can we admit that? There's many selfish reasons to do selfless things. You can get respect out of doing the quote-unquote right thing. You, you can ease your conscience. You can have inner peace out of doing the right thing. You can even gain some friends, uh, gain the credibility that you're looking for. But Jesus is saying, if you want to know if you're motivated by love or ego, if you want to know if, if what's driving you is love or ego, you need to look at what you do when the cost outweighs the benefit. When the cost outweighs the benefit. You know, in the past handful of decades, Sociologists have observed, you can look this up, it's really interesting. Sociologists have observed that kind of our market economy has really gone to our heads in, in a pretty aggressive way. And, and they've observed that most of our relationships have kind of turned into what they call uh, cost-benefit relationships, cost-benefit relationships. And if you're in business or marketing or data analytics or you know whatever you are, you're familiar with the term cost-benefit. It's an economic term. And here's how a cost-benefit relationship works. So I, I have a cost-benefit relationship with my barber, Ron. 
Mason suggested him. Uh, Ron works at, uh, uh, at Devil Strip Barber Company. It's amazing. I would definitely recommend it. If you're a dude, if you're a girl, they'd be like, what the heck are you doing in here? You don't want to fade. You know, or maybe you do. Open-mindedness. Uh, but what, what I love about Ron is uh, Ron's a great barber, and he spells his name R-A-U-N. You want to know the best thing about it? Ron is a very white man. Ron is way too white to spell his name that way, but I respect him for the audacity of it. You know what I'm saying? I love Ron, but I have a cost-benefit relationship with my barber, Ron. I love Ron. I love supporting Ron. I love spending time with Ron, but my relationship with him is fully dependent on cost-benefit. I will spend time with Ron as long as he gives me a high-quality haircut. I will spend time with Ron as long as he gives me a good experience. I will spend time as, with Ron as long as he doesn't ask too much of me. But if Ron ever starts charging me $50 a cut, I'm out of there. If Ron ever moves his barbershop an hour away, I'm out of there. If Ron ever makes me wait in the line for 45 minutes, my relationship with him is over. Why? Because the cost starts to outweigh the benefits. And what the priest and the Levi realize is they're being good, they're good and generous to the poor. They get affirmation in return. When they're good people, when they're kind people, when they're generous people, they get respect in return. They feel like they're, they're earning God's favor. But when the benefits out, or the cost starts outweighing the benefits, they are out of there. Let, look at this. Take friendship, for example, and think about your friends. Th- think about your friendships. Think about maybe some of the friendships that you've had that have ended. Generally speaking, we're friends with the people who benefit us, right? Generally speaking, we're friends with the people who benefit us, the people that we have fun with, the people that I feel encouraged by, that I feel loved by, the people I feel validated by. We're friends with the people who help me not to feel alone. Uh, We're friends with the people who are loyal, the people who have my back. But what happens when the cost starts outweighing the benefits? What happens when the cost starts outweighing, when, when when they're too needy? You know what I mean? They're too clingy. They start acting up too much. When they hurt my feelings too often, because they're not good at controlling their temper or controlling their words. When they betray me, when they drain me emotionally, when we have this big blow up and now it's going to be incredibly emotionally taxing for me to forgive them, for me to reconcile the relationship. When they don't respect me the way that I think I need to be respected because I deserve better than that and haters going to hate and block out the haters and what's like blocking out the haters. You know what I mean? What happens when the cost starts to outweigh the benefit? We'll never admit this. But slowly and steadily, we start to abandon them. When the cost starts outweigh the benefits, slowly and steadily, we start to abandon them. We leave them on the side of the road to die, so to speak. And we realize that just like the priest and just like the Levite, what we thought was love and what we thought was compassion and what we thought was service and what we thought was humility was actually just our ego in disguise. We were using them. There was a transaction taking place. And when that transaction went away, so did our relationship. Here's another example. Um, and I, I, I don't use this example to uh, call anybody out, but this story is basically about social justice, if you really think about it, right? This story is basically about taking care of people the way that we should take care of them. And I know that many of us in this room, hopefully all of us in this room, are very passionate about equality and justice, Right? That's actually, uh, uh, observers of our generation have noticed that our generation is particularly excited about equality and justice. And that's a very good thing because that's a very godly thing. 
all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, God and Jesus are talking about equality and justice, that we need to take care of the poor, that we need to take care of the people that don't have. And so many of us in this room, we, we love to post on Instagram. We love to, t- you know, we'll even get fights with our friends about it. You know, you get fights with your weird uncle, you know, and talk about you're about to do it on Christmas. You know, many of us are very passionate about equality and justice. But can we just be honest that there are some real benefits to being passionate about equality and justice? Can we say the quiet part out loud? Can we just be honest that there's some real benefits to being excited about equality and justice? Can we just be honest that it gives you a platform? Can we just be honest about that? Can we just be honest that it helps people listen to you more? That it gives people the respect you're looking for? Can we just be honest that it helps you feel like a better person? You know, it helps you ease your conscience that you're speaking up about these things. Now, now you might say to me, and, and fairly so, you might say to me, no, but Josiah, you don't know what I've lost. You don't know what I've lost speaking up about these things. I've lost friends. You know, I, I've lost family members. I, I've lost the respect. I, I've, heaven forbid, I've lost followers. You know what I mean? You, you, you don't understand what I've actually lost. And, and maybe that's true. For real. Maybe that's true. Or, or maybe you don't mind a certain group hating you as long as another group is clapping for you. Maybe you don't mind if everyone hates you as long as they're listening to you and paying attention because that's what you've always been looking for. Maybe there's a cost, but you don't mind paying that cost because in your mind, the benefit outweighs it. Now, here's the real question. Here's the real question. If you want to know if you're truly passionate about equality and justice, what do you do when there's nothing to gain? That's the real question. When no one's looking, when there is nothing to gain. You know, in other words, if you really care as much about equality as you talk about, that means every time you meet someone who is unequal with you, you will empty yourself until you give them the same resources and opportunities that you have. You know, everybody's always looking at, and it's fine. Maybe you're right about this. I'm not arguing anything. Everybody's looking at one percenters, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, you know, Elon Musk. And we're saying, listen, you guys need to give up your luxuries so the people down here can have necessities. And maybe that's true. But are you giving up your luxuries? Are you giving up your luxuries? That's a real question. Did you know that millennials spend more money in travel than the average household in the world spends on food? Are you giving up your luxuries? I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm not trying to say it. I'm just saying, if you want to know, if you want to know if this is actually sunk in, if you want to know if this is actually deep, if you want to know what kind of heart you have, you need to look at what happens when the cost outweighs the benefit. Now, here is where we hit the predicament, okay? Here's the great ego predicament. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you, you know this predicament. Uh, because if you're, like the, if you're like me, you listen to this story and maybe hear what I'm saying, and you, maybe you start to feel guilty. You're like, oh man, I am a crappy person. I'm the priest. You know, I'm the Levite. You know, I'm terrible. And, and what you think to yourself is, man, I need to go out and I need to be a better person. I need to be a good Samaritan. You know, I, I need to stop passing by. I need to try harder. I need to work harder. I need to be a good person. And so to get rid of my ego, I'm going to go out and try harder. But here's the great dilemma. Here's the great problem. If you're trying harder to feel like a better person, then you're still doing it for you. See the problem here? If you're going out and going doing good things to satisfy your ego, guess what's still in control of you? Your ego. And that's why Jesus tells us about the Samaritan. 
All right. That's why Jesus gives us the third example. That's why he doesn't just drop the mic and walk off. Here's what you need to know about a Samaritan. Okay. There is no one that a Jewish person would hate more than a Samaritan. There's absolutely no one that a Jewish person would hate more than a Samaritan. It's hard to fathom in our culture because it's hard to fathom how deeply the Jews and the Samaritans would have hated each other. A, a, a Jewish person would have looked at a Samaritan like they're like a Nazi or they're like in the KKK. That's, that's the amount of like shame that they would cast onto a Samaritan person. The term good Samaritan in their culture would have been an oxymoron. This is like the most far-fetched story in the entire world because the Jewish person is listening and they're like, there's no way a Samaritan would actually do that. They are our enemies. The Jews hated the Samaritans so much that if they were trying to get to the other side of Samaria, even if it tripled the distance of their trip, they would go around the entire city just so they don't have to step in the Samaritan filth. The Jews and the Samaritans despise each other. They hated each other. And the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. And so here's what everyone listening to this story was certain of. This is what they're certain of. If the Samaritan was the one who was beat up, if the Samaritan was in the place of the Jewish person, no Jewish person would ever help him. That's what they knew. If it was a Samaritan that was beat up and the Jewish person was walking by, the Jewish person would probably walk, probably laugh, probably make fun of, probably spit, maybe put him out of his misery. There is no way that a Jewish person would help the Samaritan. He would just say, good riddance. But when the Samaritan saw the Jew, he had compassion on him. And he helped him and he saved his life. Jesus is asking us a very interesting question. Here's the question he's asking. How would your heart change if you were rescued by someone who owed you nothing but contempt? How would your heart change? How would your life change if you were rescued by someone who owed you nothing but rejection because the relationship was so torn? What would you do if your life was saved by someone you would let die? And if you were saved on the side of the road by your enemy, how then would you start to treat your enemies when you saw them on the side of the road? When I was 16 years old, um, my dad bought me this truck. I was very excited about this truck. It was this gigantic Ford F-150. I thought it was pretty much the coolest thing in the entire world. It, it was massive, and I felt like a king. And I have one of those personalities, you know, when you're riding high, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. I am better than you people. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just love this when I was 16 years old. And our house, growing up, our house had this really long, windy driveway. Okay? So every morning, I would wake up and I would get in my F-150 and be like, oh, yeah. And what I would do is I'd pedal to the metal and bust out the long, windy driveway backwards every morning to school, super early. And my dad saw me do this a couple of times. And he came up to me. He's like, Josiah, listen, you cannot just bust out of the driveway in your F-150. He's like, you can't just bust out of your driveway. You're going to hit a car or something worse. You're going to kill the dog. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just bust out of the driveway like that. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Dad. And I kept doing it. You know, every morning I woke up, and he, he would come out to me time and time again, Josiah, you can't just bust out of the driveway like that. He was so nice about it. You just can't bust out of the driveway. One morning, uh, I woke up, and my dad had parked his car right behind me. And he parked it right behind me for a reason, because he figured there's no way I couldn't see this car. You know what I'm saying? Like it's sitting right there. There's no way I can't see this car. I have to, see, I have to pass it to like get in my car. 
And so I was in a hurry, and so I ran out, and I did see the car, but then I got in my car, and I started feeling awesome about myself again, and I started, you know, kicking on, I don't know, Bon Jovi or whatever was in the CD player, and I'm like, I'm feeling pretty awesome today, and so I put it in reverse as, as fast as I can, floored it, and bam! Oh, I destroyed this car. Oh, this, this car was like, it, it was a brand new, it was new, it was a Subaru. And, and if you know anything about Subaru, a Subaru stands no chance against the Ford masculinity. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I just absolutely destroy this car. And I, you know that feeling when your heart sinks? You know that feeling when you're like, you get really afraid of the consequences? You know, because this wasn't just stupid. It's one thing to do a stupid thing. It's another thing to do a stupid thing to the person who warned you about it 50 times and you just blew them off. So I felt really bad about this. And I'm afraid, I'm like, I don't know if dad's going to take my keys. I don't know if I'm grounded. I don't know if he's going to make me pay for this car because there's no way on earth that my $50 a weekend is going to be able to pay for this car. So I, I go inside and I go to my dad's room and I walk up to my dad's bedside and I'm like, dad, hey, I hit your car. He's like, mm, yeah. And I, I remember this. Um, he looked at me and all he said, all he said, he, he was actually very peaceful. All he said was, how bad? <laughs> Pretty bad, dad. <laughs> and I was terrified. I said, all right, let's go look at it. So, so he walks outside. We walk in, we look at the car and he's just, he's looking at it. He's like, you know what dads do? He's like, yep, that's pretty bad. <laughs> and I'll never forget. He said, son, it's okay. Check your mirrors. And don't zip out of this driveway. I love you. It shocked me. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be in so much trouble. I thought I was going to be grounded for life. And, and I thought about it, and I couldn't quite figure out why my dad would do that until one day I remembered a story that he told me. I remember a story that he told me. My dad told me this story, that when my dad was 16, his dad got him a new car. And... Their driveway had this really long, windy driveway. And every morning, my dad would wake up, and he'd zip out the windy driveway. And every single day, his dad would say, son, you can't zip out of that driveway. And then one day, his dad parked his car over there. He zipped out and nailed the car. And he went inside and talked to his dad. And his dad said, how bad? He said, pretty bad. So the two of them, my dad and my grandpa, walked outside. And my grandpa looked at him and said, son, it's OK. I love you. I forgive you. Check your mirrors. Don't sit out of the driveway. You see the point here? You see the point here? The only way to love someone who doesn't deserve it is to receive love that you don't deserve. The, the, the only way to show grace to another person is to experience the grace that's been given to you. Here, here's how I put it. Point number four. Only compassion can change the heart. Only compassion can, can get under ego and just prop it out. It's only when you've experienced love and mercy that you know you don't deserve. When you, it just comes out of you instinctually. Because how could my dad withhold the same forgiveness that was given to him? He broke the cycle. And Jesus says, Jesus said, when the Samaritans saw the Jew, beat up, bloodied, torn on the side of the road, he was supposed to be his enemy. When the Samaritans saw the Jew, he had compassion on him. 
He had compassion on him. And I love this word compassion. This word compassion is really important because compassion in the Bible, it means, it means to be it moved to the very core of who you are. It means to hit the very bottom of your heart. It means to be exploding with empathy. It means to be misty-eyed. It means to be teary-eyed. But here's why I love it so much. Did you know that there is no word that is used to describe Jesus's emotions in the Bible more than he had compassion? There's no word. When, when the Bible describes the emotions that Jesus has, the first thing it says all the time is that he had compassion. Do you see what Jesus is saying in this story? Jesus is not saying, go be a good Samaritan. Go try harder. Stop, stop being selfish. Stop being egotistical. You know, when you see someone help them, he, he's, he's not saying go try harder, work harder. Jesus is saying, I am the good Samaritan. I am the good Samaritan. And you were on the side of the road. You made me your enemy. You rejected me. If you saw me on the side of the road, you would have passed by. But I'm the good Samaritan. And when I saw you, I had compassion. I ran to your aid. Listen to me. Listen to me. Every person in this room, listen to me right now. I know that many of us in this room, many of us tonight, we we feel like we are on the side of the road. That we're the ones that are beat up. That we're the ones that are bloodied. That we're the ones that are abandoned. Your anxiety is eating you up. Day and night. The first thing you think of when you when you wake up is your anxiety. You can't fall asleep because of your anxiety. It is eating you up. Your depression is sneaking in. It gets closer and closer and stronger and stronger, especially around the holidays. It is it, taking hold of you. Your relationships are destroying you from the inside out. That person that you're dating or the person that you used to date, it, it's toxic. It's eating you and you, you don't know what to do about it. Your friends, your friends, you feel like they've abandoned you. You feel like they only like you for a skill set or, or, you know, how you make them laugh or something. But they, you don't feel like they love you for you. Your family, your family is falling apart. And you feel the weight of it happening all around you. Your addictions are consuming you. You try and you try and tell yourself that pornography is not that big of a deal. You know, you try and tell yourself that, that everyone does it. But, but you, you can't escape the feeling that you feel disgusting. That you feel unworthy. Your past, it's haunting you. The mistakes you've made, the things you've done, the places that you've come from. You see yourself as a failure. You think of yourself as unlovable. You're trying to earn your value. You're trying to earn affection. You feel beaten, crushed, stripped, rejected, and you know you have nothing to give. So why would anyone ever help you? You know you have nothing. So who's going to come to the side of the road? Who is going to come to your aid? And listen to me. If there is one thing you hear tonight, if there's one thing that's more important than anything else, is the one thing you need to hear tonight, it's this. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how unworthy you think you are, no matter how unlovable you think you are, when Jesus Christ looks at you, he's filled with compassion. When Jesus looks at you, he's moved into his bones. There's tears in his eyes. He's filled with compassion. He doesn't process all the things that you've done and all the past and all the reasons that he shouldn't come. All he can think about is that his child, his kid, his precious one, his beloved is stuck on the side of the road. Somebody's got to help him. Who's it going to be? 
and he will do anything to be with you. Listen, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the whole message of Jesus, the very heart of Jesus is that even though you're on the side of the road and maybe you even deserve to be there, Jesus is running after you as fast as he can. Jesus is coming to get you. In fact, he already has. Jesus is running to bandage your wounds. Jesus is running to pick you up and get you to help. Jesus is the one who, who says, I will pay any cost. I will pay any cost, no matter how high. I don't need anything in return as long as I can be close. As long as I can have this precious one back. As long as I can be close to you. Guys, Jesus dying on the cross, this is what that's all about. This is what that's all about. Jesus is saying to you, look, you might not understand this. You might not get the religion part. You not, might not get the theology part. You, not, might, you might not get the morality in the church. It, you, you, don't understand, you might not understand this, but the only way for me to save your life is to give up mine. The only way to get you off the side of the road is for me to be stripped, for me to be beaten, for me to be bloodied, for me to be rejected, for me to be killed. And I know you can't give me anything in return. I know you can't. I know that you'll, you'll never be good enough. I know that we haven't talked in a really long time. I know you've been off doing your own thing. I know you feel like a burden, but quite honestly, I just don't care because I want to be with you and I will do whatever it takes, no matter what it costs. And I'm not asking for anything in return. I just want to be close to you. That's what Jesus is all about. Listen, Jesus, Jesus didn't come to earth to yell at you. Jesus didn't come to earth to be this great rule enforcer. Jesus didn't come to earth to, to make you feel guilty. You know, you're on the side of the road. He just kind of kicks you while you're down, make you feel bad about it. You shouldn't have been here anyways. Jesus didn't come here to start a religion. Jesus Christ came to save you. That's it. Jesus Christ came to be close to you. Jesus Christ came to reach out his arm to you. And the only question left, the only thing that's left on the table, the only question is, Will you reach out your arm to him? Will you let him pick you up? Will you let him bandage your wounds? Will you let him pay the cost? Do you want to be close to him? Will you let him take you home? Listen, tonight, some of us in this room, you know, you know that you need to come back to God. You know that. It's been a really long time. You haven't thought about these things in a while. You, you, you've been off doing your own kind of thing. And God is just saying to you, all he's saying to you is, I missed you. I missed you, kid. I'm not mad at you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I just want you back. I hate the barrier. I hate that we haven't talked in a long time. All I want is for you to come back. And you know you need to do that. Listen, if you, if you, don't, have, if you don't have a church home, if, if you don't have a place to go, I, I'd really like to invite you to this one. 
I'd really like to invite you to this one. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You probably learned that pretty quickly when you came in. But we are serious about Jesus Christ. That might be the only thing that we're serious about, (laughs) if I'm being honest. And this is a place for broken people. This is a place for people who have been gone for a really long time. We come back to God. He misses you. He, He wants to be close to you. Some of us in this room, listen, some of us in this room are following Jesus. You know, we, we, we want a relationship with God, but you're trying. You're trying. You're trying to be better and better and better. You're trying to ease your conscience all the time. You're trying to, to pay this debt that you feel like you owe. You're trying to earn validation. You're trying to earn love. You're trying to earn value. And, and what you need to do, listen, You need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has paid it all. There's nothing left for you to pay. That's it. And if you want to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ, if you want to live in the freedom of the gospel, life and life to the full, then what you need to know is that there's grace. You're covered. You know, Christianity isn't about trying harder. Christianity is about looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you've done everything. I just want to be close to you. That's it. Would you stop trying harder? Will you realize that that's already paid? Would you let your good Samaritan pick you up? And you'll be shocked how that changes your heart and that changes your life. And, and lastly, listen, some of us in this room, you know, you know that you need to give your life over to Jesus Christ. That's what you know. You, 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 feel, you feel like I've been talking to you the whole time. Like I know you, we haven't met. You know what I mean? That's Jesus Christ reaching out to you. You feel this, this inescapable essence. That's God reaching out to you. You know that Jesus is calling you home. You know that Jesus wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. You know that and you need to give your life to him tonight. Because you know that deep down, this is what you've always been searching for. You know that deep down, you'll never be satisfied until you have it. You know that deep down, this is what you are made for. And, and please, my friends, don't, don't let anything stop you. Jesus' arms are wide open. He's calling you to him no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, no matter where you're going. He just wants your heart. Will you give your heart to him? I don't normally do this. Um, I, if you need anything, will you please reach out? I, I put on that little note sheet that you have. I, I just put, I don't normally do this because people are weird, but um, I put my phone number on it. Like, I will meet with each and every person in this room. I don't care. Will you talk to the person that brought you? If you came from a group, will you talk to the group leader? Just don't let anything stop you. From getting, from receiving Jesus, because Jesus didn't let anything stop him from getting to you. I want to invite the band up. Um, will you pray with me? Jesus, um, Jesus, I just, I just ask that you work so powerfully in our hearts. Jesus, that you would show us that you are the way and you are the truth and you are life the only source of life. And Jesus, I, I just pray for everyone in this room, if there, if there is anyone, and I know there are many, who are far from you, will you show them that you, you'll do anything to be with them? 
that you love them. You love them, you love them, you love them, you love them. And we give them the courage, Holy Spirit, to take your hand, to let you guide and direct all of our lives. Lord, in this, in this time, will you speak to us? I, I love this next song. You're not putting conditions on this, Lord. You just want to be close. You just want your kids back. So would you let us respond to the love and the grace that we don't deserve, but you want to give to us so desperately anyways. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to The Collective Podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, or you just want to reach out for help or advice or someone to talk to, we always want to make ourselves available to you. One of the best ways is to send us a direct message to GCM underscore collective, or to send us an email to collective at graceohio.org. As always, you are invited to Collective every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. Hope to see you soon. Bye.